Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I take the week's financial news regardless of the weather. And that financial news can be confusing, misleading, and take you off course, and I make it actionable, understandable, and clear. Yes, for this icy week here in Dallas, Texas, the show goes on. For my other listeners and other climates, carry on. Pay no mind to this weather update here in Dallas, but if you're like me, it's been an icy one. We still got great news. The news machine keeps cranking. So for this week, Market Watch had an article we're going to look at titled, I'm paying my financial advisor 1%. What do I do? Lo and behold, I know what to do. We're going to look at legendary big short investor Michael Burry and his issue of an ominous warning on Twitter. One word, sell, and he disappears into the night. A uh, article another Market Watch deal um, about payback time. U.S. stocks have been a no-brain or moneymaker for years, but those days are over. And then we end it with Mr. Morgan Housel, one of our North Stars. Mr. Housel's almost reached John Bogle-like levels in the reverence that we have for him on the show. Not quite. But we look at an article he wrote uh, January 31st, 2023, titled Everything You Can't Have. And it's about dopamine, and you're going to love it. You might get a dopamine hit yourself. Just, just listen to me talk about it. At the top, though, Market Watch by Alyssa Wolfson. I'm paying my financial advisor 1%, but the only communications I get are invoices so I want to regain sole control of my accounts without having to talk to him about it. Is this possible? Oh, you can just hear it in this person's voice. Uh, just the absolute fear and the captivity they have in this managed account malaise. Well, they're in good company. A whole lot of folks feel like this, and even some of my listeners, you may feel like this. You may be in a financial advisor relationship where you are being charged a fee, but not really getting a lot for it. And I'd argue you, it's, hard to, it's hard to justify a 1% fee even if they walk your dog every night. It's tough to back into it and make sense of it. But this, uh, this person comments, they said, eight years ago I hired a financial advisor because there were rounds of layoffs at work were coming and I wanted to know if my savings were enough for me to retire. So they thought in order to get a financial plan they had to do this 1% deal. You don't. You can pay by the hour to yours truly or many others now. Uh, this has been a significant amount per year. But this original advisor I hired retired, and there's a new person now. Uh, and they don't reach out to me. All I get are invoices for fees, which is kind of amazing because a lot of these situations, there's no invoice for fee. So good on them for actually showing them what they're being charged. And this person laments in retirement, the fee for the financial advisor has been my biggest yearly expense, more than my taxes, more than my property taxes in a very expensive area, and I don't think it's worth paying that large fee. You're right. It's not. But what do you do? So this is a question and answer segment, and I'm just going to give the answer. So the answer in this article, you could read. I'll link it here, but it talks about what you can do to move money around, and then it quotes one of my, a good person at the end. But when you're in this situation, I think it's critical, but not obligatory, to partner with someone to help you because it can be a real bear moving money out of a managed account. I've done it myself and I've helped many, many others do it as well. The roadblocks that are put up 
are numerous. <clears throat> so, but I want you to know, it's easy. So this person's fear that, oh, do I have to let them know? Well, ultimately, I believe it's a, it's a common courtesy to let someone know. So you might be tempted just to open up that brokerage account at a Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, wherever, and just issue the order to move the securities in kind, maybe to a operations person and not tell your advisor. I don't recommend that. I believe we can be courteous um, and kind, even if we don't like the service provided at the price. But And, and I'd say be transparent, but it's going to be, they're going to try to by hook or crook, keep you in there. You're a great client for them, 1%, not doing anything for you. That's called an annuity for the advisor, just kind of a royalty check they get for having you in the system. Well, that's not good for you. But what I would do first is lay the groundwork. So what I counsel folks to do is, let's say you're in one of these managed accounts somewhere, you may already be at a Charles Schwab. Well, that's kind of nice, and there's not a whole lot to do. You literally just need to call your the managed account person, your advisor, and say, I'd like to be self-directed from now on. Thank you for your service. I'm going to go in a self-directed manner. Oh, don't do that. You don't, we, we, we help you pick the right stock at the right time. You, you noticed in, in, in 2020, we got you in the right spot here. We, you, know, you just have to turn, your, turn off your ears for a second, turn them back on and say, I understand that. I'd like to be self-directed. Thank you. And you might have to take up it. But guess what? You can just flip the switch and no more fees. Now, you may own a whole host of securities you don't know what to do with, but at least that managed fee is gone. Now, if you're at a place that doesn't allow for that, maybe at a bank-type setup like a, maybe a J.P. Morgan or a UBS or Goldman Sachs or one of these places where it's a little more entrenched, you're going to need to move the money to somewhere else in order to have this arrangement uh, just because it's going to be cleaner. Some of them have lower-cost alternatives, but it's kind of messy. Open up an account at Vanguard prior to talking to the advisor. Get it ready. Say, hey, I've got... Call Vanguard. I'd like to open a brokerage account. You'll move the securities in kind and have it ready so that when you do call your current advisor, you can simply say, hey, I'd like to do it. Now, here's where I think you still need advice. The longer I do this, the longer I provide financial advice to clients, we've been doing it six years now, the more convinced I am that people need advice. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care if you went to Texas A&M, you know, the finest university in the country. I don't care. There's a behavioral aspect even if you know all the I's to dot and T's to cross from a planning standpoint, I don't think humans are very good at self-managing in isolation. Now, sometimes you've got a spouse at work. You know, there, there, are, there are opportunities where you can partner with folks where it works. So just find someone. It doesn't have to be an hourly financial advisor, but I would recommend it. It doesn't have to be every year either, but a second set of eyes is well worth the money you'll spend for it. So, be willing to get that account set up, move from that managed deal, cut your fees, and then it's going to be a little bit of a journey um, to clean up what they left. Typically, it's complex with these existing, uh, I'll call them legacy financial advisors. They usually have people in way too many funds. Uh, but you can do it. A lot of what I counsel people to do is you can do it. They feel this, uh, in many ways, this captive posture to these legacy financial advisors, and there's, not, there's nothing there. In many instances, it is the Wizard of Oz. You look behind the curtain, and there's a little man pulling levers, but on, from the outside, it looks like you see smoke and green lights and big face and loud noises. Well, don't worry about it. Um, partner with someone like me, and it won't be a problem. Okay, I'm seeing a lot of these lately. This is an article in Fortune. Legendary big short investor Michael Burry issues an ominous warning after this latest stock market rally. He says, one text, sell. And then he canceled his Twitter account. So Michael Burry, by way of review, 
He was the short seller who famously called the subprime bubble and made a whole lot of money shorting various tranches of these subprime securities. And he was in a movie. So I think I think maybe it was the big short movie. They highlighted him. I forget who I forget who played him. You someone will know. But so he's famous and he's wealthy. And this is February first, Wednesday. He comes out with one word, sell. Burry also takes a shot at us. Here we go. In 2021, before the crypto winter and bear market 2022, Burry said that the rise of passive investing, <gasps> that's what I do, and risky speculation would lead to the mother of all crashes in cryptos and stocks. He followed through on his own advice to sell last year, slashing all of Cyan Asset Management Group's holdings except for a single private prison stock, the GEO Group, in the second quarter. So... He's calling us out. The gauntlet's been laid. He's saying, oh, wow, passive investing is part of the problem. And then towards the end of the article, Jeremy Grantham, the legendary British investor who runs asset management from GMO, wrote in his Outlook letter that stocks could drop another 50% this year, and what he calls the super bubble has just begun to pop. So here we are, two very wealthy folks, both saying the end is nigh. Get those canned goods ready get the ammunition stocked, it's all going to end. Now, without the right mindset here, we can read stuff like this and fall for it. So Mr. Burry, like a lot of short sellers, he's a short behind every bush. <laughs> to a hammer, everything's a nail. To a short seller, everything's a short. So he's had all sorts of short, and some of them worked. But you and I do not need to get on this train. When you look at the chart, look at the long chart from eighteen late 1800s to present, you look at the stock market chart, you wouldn't want to try to pick the short. That'd be a tough game. Wouldn't want to have to do it. There may be a whole host of reasons why Mr. Burry thinks he should sell, but I don't. you have to figure out what game are you playing. I play the game where I control what I can. What are my costs? Okay, I'm going to keep those low. What's my investing asset allocation? I'm going to keep that simple, very simple. What's my time horizon? Well, it's long. Well, Mr. Burry may not have a long time horizon. That may mean we're not playing the same game. If I'm playing a 50-year game and he's playing a five-month game, it's going to be a very different look to the outsider um, and for good reason. So push past Mr. Burry. Ignore this, this ominous sell signal and then deactivation of the Twitter account like a, just a mist, like a vapor. He goes away in a dramatic fashion. Don't worry about it. We've got our North Stars. We've got Bogle and Buffett, Munger, better North Stars than, than Burry. You got to find something to hold on to and believe in. Not don't don't be a short seller. You'll drive yourself mad. Another article in the same vein, uh, Market Watch contributor opinion. It's payback time. U.S. stocks have been a no-brainer moneymaker for years, but those days are over. This is Vitaly Katzen Nelson's Contrarian Edge, uh, published fe February first. It reads: If you've owned U.S. stocks for the past decade, you've been richly rewarded. It's payback time. Over the next decade or two. Investors will experience bull and bear markets, but at the end of the journey, they will not be far from where they started. Okay, let's ricky ricky pause the record there. What in the world? Who in the world has the prescience? In the Old Testament, they'd, they'd stone you for stuff like this. You, you all probably know the standard to be a, a, a true prophet in the Old Testament. If you missed on one, how's it, man? They, you're going to get stoned. In the financial world, we let you say as much as you want. No, I don't recommend stoning, of course, but we don't we don't add a lot of gravity to these to these pr predictors. We don't ask for their track records. 
But this is a really ambiguous pronouncement. Over the next decade or two, okay, over the next 20 years, we're going to experience bull and bear markets. Well, yeah. But at the end of the journey, will not be far from where they started. How, in the, who would, how could anyone know that? But this man knows it. And actually, there's a lot I like about the article. They explain what a, where a stock gets a return. Appreciation of the stock plus any dividend payment. Correct. When you deconstruct price appreciation, it comes from two sources, earnings growth and a price to earnings growth. That's true on both accounts. What worries this person is the, the E in the price to earnings ratio. Earnings. So they feel that the profit margins of companies are going to contract back to levels that they held in the 1980s and 90s because they're very high right now. So that's going to, in his mind, depress stock prices significantly. And whenever someone writes an article like this, I say, what, what should we do now? Well, what can we do now? What should we do now, sir? Right? What do we do? Well, has he got a story to sell us? He wants us to counter this. And usually they have people like us in the crosshairs, these passive investors. They think we're just duffel puds. Duffel puds being the little men in Voyage of the C.S. Lewis' Voyage of the Dawn Treader that jump around and with one leg. He says we should become an active value investor. Tradition, traditional buy and forget to sell investing is not dead, but is waiting for the next secular bull market to return. That bull is still far away. Ugh, what does that even mean? He's predicting that somehow low cost will lose. Now, go back. What do we know about the SPIVA report, SPIVA? 95% of these low cost index funds will beat their active market contemporaries over a 20-year period. Well, you could buy a value index. You don't have to do that and increase your margin of safety. So he wants you to buy a certain type of stock that protects you from high earnings multiples. Don't fall into the relative valuation trap, okay? Um, he's, he's talking about cyclicality of earnings and gobbledygook. Don't time the market. I agree. Hey, that's nice. I like that. He says just buy individual stocks, buy them when they're cheap. Um, oh, selling them when they become fairly valuable. That's silly. I don't, that doesn't work. And don't be afraid of cash. I think you should be afraid of cash. So he's saying that we have bad habits from this previous bull market and that we shouldn't have cash. You should have as much cash as your family needs and invest the rest. That's always going to be my answer. So um, these articles are coming out, and lots of them. Um, we, you've got to have a robust framework to filter these things. And that's the Bogle, that's the Buffett, that's the Speed Report. Uh, don't worry about the folks that say, hey, stocks are done. They've had a nice run. They're usually trying to sell you something, and you shouldn't be buying. And in closing... One of the most important aspects of investing is the psychology of investing. And there's no one better than Mr. Morgan Halsell. you got to read his book, Psychology of Money. He is on my list of must-read investors. So he has something titled on his uh, Collaborative Fund blog, Everything You Can't Have. He, he, it reads, nothing is as desired as much as the thing you want but can't have. Isn't that the truth? In fact, for most people, there's a hierarchy of wants that goes something like this. If you don't want something and don't have it, you don't think about it. If you want something and have it, you might feel okay. If you want something and don't have it, you might feel motivated. Texas A&M football program, got to try to get that national championship. We're motivated, aren't we? If you want something and can't have it, you drive yourself mad. Drive yourself mad. So... He goes on to talk about what, what does lead to happiness? What does 
lead to people kind of chasing uh, bigger and bigger things, more and more consumption. But what I want to do is connect it to our investing behavior. He ultimately says, and quotes various folks, that it's a dopamine hit. Many of different dopamine says hit our brain gives us when we're doing something new and that we like and it can be addictive. It's this what's next? How can we get to that next level? That dopamine hit? Well, and investing that can happen and it can drive us way off course. So you've got to be careful. A scenario that I, I see and that I've seen in myself is hey, if I've got $5,000 and I need to turn it into $50,000 and I want to do that soon, I am going to go all over the all over creation trying to find someone who will tell me a tale that can make that true. I need to 10, 10x my money. I need 10 times my money. I need it quick. And, and what, I'm, what I think I'm searching for is a cash need. I, th- I think I, I need a boat, let's say. I think that's, I, but I need that boat. What I really want is this dopamine hit. I want more and more and more. And what's happening is I'm letting my consumption, it could be anything, I'm letting my consumption back into my investing philosophy and behavior. And it's driving me away from the tried and true, the simple, the long-term, the low-cost. And it's pushing me into the expensive and the complex and the short term. And a lot of money has disappeared. A lot of money has disappeared when, when we're chasing dopamine and we're not rooted in these fundamentals of investing. So this is a check on all of us to reevaluate, why do, I, why do I think I want to double my money in 18 months? What's going on there? What about double my money in six months? What about 10x my money in two years? What's going on there? And sometimes that may happen. I mean, in a serendipitous manner, you've, you've been diligent and you've invested in a certain program, a certain asset class, and you, you get lucky. Something happens. That's great. But when we orient our investing around that, it's really helpful to do some self-reflection. And reading Morgan Housel can be one of the best ways to do it, where he just says, nah, you really, you're not really after the boat or the car or the bigger number on your computer screen. You're after dopamine. Oh, dear. Well, that's kind of a different problem altogether, isn't it? So be willing to do some self-reflection, introspection. Oftentimes, some of the biggest mistakes made in the personal finance space are not, it's not the numbers, it's not the math, it's not the asset allocations, it's the psychology. We just can't get over ourselves, and it's, this, it's oftentimes this kind of background music in our minds and our hearts that's driving us to make investing decisions that, in hindsight, are bizarre, but at the time, they feel awfully rational to us. So, as always, keep those costs low, keep that investing simple, keep that time horizon long. That's what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey.